Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Thursday, November 10th, 2022. I am John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist and American Enterprise Institute fellow Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. Associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. And joining us today is our honor, yet again, uh, to have Newsmaker. Last time she was on, commentary is mentioned in gossip columns across the country. Uh, Breaking news about everybody's favorite dysfunctional TV show, The View. It's Megan McCain. Hi, Megan. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me back. I, I, you know, I adore the podcast and I listen every day and I'm so happy. I just have such respect for all of you and your level of intelligence and makes continuing to make me feel normal in this moment. And yes, I'm very proud that I got commentary in Us Weekly and page six. And my friends were like, is, is that the podcast that we listen to? Like, it's so wonky. And I was wondering if any like Us Weekly people re- started listening. Well, we did have, a, we had a, we had a, we had a surge of sampling and then it came back to earth. So, okay. but, uh, it Sorry. Was, yeah. So, so Megan, you know, told, told the, told some stories about her, um, her treatment uh, at the hands of her of her co-stars on on the View that uh, that uh, was a, a pretty uh, uh, pretty startling. I mean, this week, just to you know, give you an example of the uh, intel- native intelligence of people uh, on that show. One of the co-hosts uh, basically revealed that she had participated in voter fraud. She's like, right. I took my son's ballot. My son couldn't vote. So I filled out his ballot and took him, took it to the polling place. Oh. And they wouldn't. T- it's like, oh, you filled out someone else's ballot and he's in college. So he's actually like a person who has attained his own majority. Yeah, that's um, that's a that's a crime. Maybe you don't yeah, want to mention that on national <laughs> television. All right. Megan, um, you you bathed in politics from the moment you were born. <laughs> Your dad was a congressman, then he became a senator, of course, one of the most famous uh, politicians uh, in modern American political history. So you've seen campaigns, you saw presidential campaign, <clears throat> you know, you've seen senatorial campaigns, and you are, you that was in the state that is now may decide the control of the Senate uh, in is this this is your dad's seat, right? Or uh, or is or a cinema seat? The cinema is it? Oh, okay, okay. So it's not it's not it's not your it's not your late father's seat. So, but so here we are. Um, I think twenty thousand votes or something are separating. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. Five points. No, the 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 senatorial races. Uh, uh, Mark Kelly, the incumbent, is five points ahead of. Um, as we Masters. speak, there's 13,000 votes separating Katie Hobbs and Carrie Lake for the governor's yeah. race in Arizona. And the governor's race. Okay. So so you know more about Arizona than anybody that I've talked to in a long time. And let's face it's a weird, it's a it's now an increasingly like schizophrenic state, right? Because it's 75% yeah. of it is in one county, which is the which is Maricopa, which is a which is Phoenix and its environs. And that is increasingly purple to trending bluish as as it gets younger and more populous and then you have 25 percent of the state there are all these other places and except for like a couple of spots this is like hard right like you know half 
Barry Goldwater libertarian and half Alex Jones psychotic. And so this is a very interesting political state, yeah. right? And increasingly poli increasingly political because of this, like, I, I, I guess it's like, try schizophrenia or something. Anyway, so how do you, how do you read, mm -hmm. right? So how do you read, how do you read the current condition of the state and, and, and what we might expect over the next week as this crucial stuff comes in? I think the way you describe the demographics in Arizona are really fascinating because the Phoenix and Scottsdale area in Maricopa County is very blue, turning even more blue every every month, um, especially with the influx of a lot of people from California who moved to Arizona during the pandemic. And then you have places like Pinal County, which is on the border, which are, like you said, it's 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 like independents, but fringe independents, libertarians who are very proud libertarians and like abide by the Libertarian Party every day. And then the most MAGA ultra on acid, uh, like I can't even just like the most MAGA, 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 Alex with a little bit of Alex Jones uh, dashed in. So it's a very, there's a lot of like conflicting demographics. Um, it's interesting to see that Carrie Lake, who's the crazy person that I, I think she's going to win by a very small margin um, running for governor who really latched onto, I think she just, became like a ventriloquist for Trump and studied him. She's a former news anchor. Um, she comes off like an actress to me. And I think it's amazing that she has taken the most extreme rhetoric, the extreme policies of anyone. And it looks like she's going to win. But then you're juxtaposed with Mark Kelly, who is five points up right now, obviously going to win, who's running against Blake Masters, who is also a very fringe MAGA person who is completely bankrolled by Peter Thiel. Like, Peter Thiel just decided this is who I want to be a senator in Arizona. And he was, I believe Peter Thiel's co close coworker. I don't remember what job he had at PayPal and just dumped money into him for him to become the nominee. And then when he became the nominee, he said, I'm not giving any more money. And then Mitch McConnell um, didn't give him any money for his race. And now he's losing. And he's people I know that have covered him. People I know that have gone to his events, just say he's creepy. Like he just comes off creepy. And sometimes there's intangibles in politics that like, some people like, you know, you like to be around whatever person because you want to have a beer with them. And like Masters, you don't want to be in a room with him because he's creepy. And I think that actually played a role. And he's running against Mark Kelly, who is like a beloved astronaut married to Gabby Gifford. And I disagree with much of his politics, but he's a really lovely person personally. And I think in Arizona, you can't underestimate personality in some of it. And look, I was worried Arizona was going to be like Florida on acid. I'm glad that... Uh, Blake Masters, you know, it's tricky because I don't love Mark Kelly's politics. He's very anti-gun and, you know, he votes like 90% of the time with Biden. But personality wise, I obviously prefer him. And I don't like the idea of billionaires coming into my home state and picking candidates and shoving them down people's throats. And I think Carrie Lake is a crazy person and a really mm -hmm. bad for Arizona and the country. I got to okay, tell you, so I'm really surprised by the the closeness of the of the gubernatorial race in the Democratic direction, just because whatever you think of Carrie Lake's politics, and I think she's pretty much adopted a fraudulent personality to take this yeah. seat. She's nevertheless an effervescent person. She is a, a natural speaker, an incredibly compelling personality, and a warm personality when she wants to be. Um, she's very good at being a, a, just the retail politics of this stuff. And Katie Hobbs is not, to say it mildly, she's incredibly unimpressive. And yet, 
just the dynamics of of this year have have put her in a in, in a very good position to at least be competitive. She doesn't pull it out. She she did a really good job despite no debates, despite you know just every time she opens her mouth, just being very unimpressive. What do you do? You just attribute that to the state sort of rejecting like a like a bad transplant this uh, this this Republican field because otherwise there's nothing to suggest that she should be performing as well as she is. It's Katie Hobbs is the Democrat, like you said, running against her as a terrible candidate and has no charisma. I I don't think she like communicates her ideas for policy and her future for Arizona well at all. Completely refused to debate Carrie Lake, which I thought was a huge mistake and looked like you were scared of Carrie Lake and helped her. Um, but like you said, she's within a few thousand. I think she's like you said, 13,000 points up. Is that correct? As of um, now, with 70 percent in. And yeah, could very well go, go Lake's way. way, but it, it's absolutely going to be a close race, far, far closer than I thought it would be. I'm just polling alone. But then the intangibles hey. of this candidate yeah. being a good candidate. Hey. Well, I, I don't want to go uh, too far down this road too soon, but no, I think Carrie Lake is also a, a repugnant personality. Yes. And, and, and I think wow. in, in a way that people are that that comes through. So well, the I, actor, I, the actress point is really important here that yeah. Megan said at the at, at the top of the show, she because remember, she got she sort of rose to broader attention when she did this dramatic resignation from her from her news show. It's like, I can no longer speak these untruths. In, in fact, she was refusing to call the election for Biden. She was the one who wanted to lie on air. And they were like, you can't do that. So she she actually very she's very tricky in that way. And and the appeal is to people who actually see conspiracies everywhere, who really do have this belief that every everybody in power is out to get the little guy. She speaks to those people like very, very well. And Hobbes, interestingly, she's trying. It, it was very funny to watch people like Obama and, and all the other big Democrats who came to campaign for her try to turn her lack of charisma into its own brand. It's like, look, she's just a little nerd who wants to do policy. But it that also seems false to me because you actually have to, if you're going to hold statewide office, you've got to be able to talk to the people of the state in a way that they can listen and hear. And you can't just be in your office crunching numbers. Okay, so this is the ultimate test of this election, because what Katie Hobbs ran as, we should understand from we've talked for two years about the generic ballot. She is running as generic Democrat. I don't want to debate. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you what I think. You figure out I'm a D. You want to vote for a D, you vote for me. I have this giant personality over here running as an R. So she will attract passionate adherence and i think as abe is suggesting those passionate adherents the more passionate they are the more uneasy softer less ideological people are going to be with her so on the one hand maybe she attacks the media and that's something that everybody can kind of get behind but um the intensity of her approach and uh and the and the you know what she is wearing on her sleeve if it is in fact her sleeve is uh, obviously maybe marginally repellent to people. Although, uh, if Kelly is running five points, uh, now that's an open seat, right? That's the point, the gubernatorial man. So Kelly is an incumbent. yeah. And the incumbent, as Christine said yesterday, incumbents have weird advantages. I mean, people say, okay, they're better known and all of that. But it's also like, that's a horse chain. That's like, do I change horses? 
And there is something in the inherent conservatism of people that says, I don't want it. I mean, you have to, I have to go a little, take a little couple more steps before I change horses, but an open seat is an open seat. So Kelly's five points up because they don't want to change horses and masters has these negatives, but Lake, you know, now I want to get to your tweet on Tuesday night. So, over Should the we, weekend, one, one quick thing: yeah. she Lake was a former registered Democrat who supported right, Obama until That's 2018. Yes, yes, and a so. Buddhist. I mean, there's now, a, a proud huh? Christian. She was a Buddhist for a long time, yeah. and like now is a proud Christian in like yeah. in like a year. But I mean, there is a there is footage of her. I think in 2015, maybe or some maybe I don't know of her interviewing Obama, and it is. I mean, if she's like Trump central, I mean, she was basically like on her licking Obama's feet. I mean, it is, I know everyone says she's so good and she's so eloquent. I, and Noah said that. And I, I am, I think Abe and I are both straining to see the appeal. Like she is the, she is like a kind of weird caricature of a local television news anchor to me. Like that you could almost be an anchor, like she's a female version of, um, of Will. Will Ferrell and Anchorman a little <laughs> bit. Uh, but um, over the weekend, according to Jonathan Martin, uh, uh, Carrie Lake was at a rally and said, or in a room or something, and said, are there any supporters of John McCain here? Get the hell out. And I went into a rant yesterday about this. Like, that is not normal. That is not the way weekend before the election. You don't tell people, voters, to get the hell out of the room. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Like you want every, you know, she may win by three votes. She may lose by three votes. And there could have been three votes in that room of people going, well, I'm, that's very offensive. Yeah, I love John McCain. You know, maybe he wasn't right wing enough for me. And, you know, I didn't like what he stood for on, on I don't know, you know, campaign finance reform. But what a, he was a great guy. I loved him. You know, he you know, was proud to vote for him. He was an American hero. Like, I don't want you saying that about John McCain. It's only, again, in a close race. And she knew it was always going to be a close race. That's that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And so, Megan, you then said on Tuesday night when it when it was when it was looking bad or something, you said, I think very eloquently. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not eloquent. It was angry. Totally eloquent. I'm going with eloquent. <laughs> One small idea would be to stop shitting on my family when you're running for office in Arizona. I just want to say, as Twitter maybe vanishes from the scene as Elon Musk <laughs> continues to work his bizarre, he's like Max Bialystok and the producers. He seems to actually literally want to shut Twitter down after paying $50 billion for it. Uh, as it goes away, this will, I will always cherish this as a, this tweet. Um, Thank you. But aside from, you know, like defending your father's, you know, honor and and all of that, um, could you give us a sense of, I mean, again, this state is the Republican Party in the state, of course, censured your dad, which was and my mother and your mother. Right. Because your mother, your mother uh, endorsed, Biden. endorsed Biden. OK, so, yeah, sent, yeah, censured a, you know, like a private citizen. Like, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, um, uh, can you give us a sense, you know, basically now of like how, how you feel, you you don't live in Arizona anymore, but I mean, you know, how you feel 
going back that like does the state feel like a place that is actively hostile to your father because again i'm trying to figure out like that was an interesting bit of mania on her part and weird you know like self-destruct i i take it as self-destructive but maybe i'm wrong so it's interesting she's actually gone after my mother when she first launched her campaign I was talking about like why Cindy McCain is the worst part of Arizona. And then she went after my brother, Jimmy, who uh, was friends with her, him and his wife, Polly, are were friends with her. Carrie Lake actually went to my nephew's baby shower um, before he was born, um, went after him and then has gone after me like multiple times and called me, keeps calling me a rabid dog backed into a corner, which again, like I've been called way worse than that, but whatever. Um and then continue rabid dogs you can't back a rabid dog into a corner isn't that the point about rabid dogs they are no they are they are aggressive okay no and then she yeah. um she just keeps doing it like when she got the nomination she made a she did gave a speech at cpac and said we have exercised the ghost of john mccain and made like a stabbing motion with her hands like a, with a knife and then just again like john martin it said like she was like if you liked McCain get get out of here get the and hell out I think the hell out of here yeah. yeah and again like she I people have resurfaced tweets Instagram things like a picture she tweeted a picture of the two of us a few years ago when I like went on local Arizona stuff to to promote a book I was doing um a lot of lovely tweets about my dad over the years especially when he died and you know what and I went home over the summer in July June and July I went home for a while I was home for like almost six weeks um and uh I like random I found out I was pregnant there and then didn't want to fly home so like stayed at our ranch for a little while oh. um and you know it's interesting because there was Carrie Lake and Blake Masters stuff everywhere and I asked my brother who lives in um he lives in right outside Sedona in a place called Page Springs um in uh Yavapai County which is also like a big MAGA county and I was asking if he felt hostile anywhere, like, you know, people doing things or saying things. And I still don't. Maybe people are just like respectful enough when I'm going places, if they recognize me at all. I don't know. That only happens very, very rarely. Um, I don't feel it. I think it's a Trump thing. I actually think my dad was served for like 35 years. He was in Congress before I was born. Um, he uh, actually won his second election right after I was born in Congress and then became a senator for, you know, again, until he died. And he's been dead for four years. The airport is now renamed after him. Like there's schools named after him. Like I still think there's a lot of people in Arizona that love him. And there's data to back this up. Like there's actual, like the McCain Institute is pulling on him still. So I think it's stupid and insane just because if you're in a room and you're like, if you liked McCain, get out. And also, I don't know if you can bleep it out, but like, I'm going to swear. So I'm sorry. But like, who the fuck is she? She is just some <laughs> random news anchor who imitated Trump, who, you know, now is acting like she's the biggest deal ever. You're barely winning, bitch. My dad always won by huge numbers and won handily across the board, only lost for president. And I think there's a lot of people that are grossed out by it. Not a ton. Like, you know, obviously there's MAGA people that love her, but I just think it's like a ridiculous and absurd. And I'm so, um, I'm just like, I, it doesn't even impact me anymore because it happens so often. Uh, you've all live in, live in uh, over at National Review had this postmortem on the midterms that I thought was pretty astute. In, and his the thesis is that essentially both parties are running as minority parties. Both parties perceive themselves to be minority parties. The Arizona gubernatorial race seems like a perfect example of this. Carrie Lake trying to alienate people who who like the most popular political figure in her state campaigning with Steve Bannon, a uh, convicted yeah. felon, went after he was a convicted felon. Um, 
appealing to a really slim minority of the electorate on the R side. But if if the thesis here is that Katie Hobbs is running as a generic Democrat, that's a minority party too. Generic Democrat has minority appeal and needs to expand their base. And neither of them went about expanding the base, but doing as much as they can to run up, expanding their, their electorate rather, running to uh, run up the score among their base voters. And there's just not enough of them. So you're talking about two tiny competing universes so turning off the larger universe of voters in the process. I, you know, I want to make a point about Trump because, of course, Trump is the person who surfaced active hostility to your dad in a really shocking way in 2015, yeah. right? I mean, it was kind of startling and it came out of nowhere and it was totally sort of unnecessary, but maybe not unnecessary, right? He said, you know, basically said your dad was a loser because he was shot down in a plane. Yeah. And and was a prisoner of war. Like, you know, he likes people who win, not people who get shot down in planes. Like, and it was so gasp-inducing. And of course, in some ways, you then think, okay, well, a guy who crosses that Rubicon, you know, will do and say anything. That was why it was a sort of a significant moment, because you know, at, at another time in American history. That would have been career ending or, you know, bid ending or whatever, just because, wait a minute, what do you, you know, no, right? But but it was 40 odd years after the Vietnam War ended and, you know, he was generally saying, I will say anything and I am not beholden to political correctness and all of that. But that was Trump and even Trump in 2016, I keep pushing because it's a point I want to get back to, is, um, you know, in the end, he got 45% of the Republican electorate voting for him. But it was it's a winner-take-all system, the Republican nominating process, and so he secured the nomination. Um, that he was a controversial figure in the Republican Party in 2016. Most Republicans, a majority of Republicans who voted in the primaries did not vote for Trump, just there were 16 other people running, right? So, or however many there was actually got some substantive numbers, like four other candidates got substantive numbers and added up to 55%. Um, we have two electoral data points about him, three, right? There's the Republican nomination, there's the 2016 election, there's the 2020 election. The idea, so Trump, I think people, Republicans fell in line, said they liked him, whatever, all of that. We are still in a weird place where we don't actually know how Republicans feel about him except polling. And guess what? Guess what we just learned about polling yet again, which is that um, people can say that they're, you know, angry about the state of the country and the economy and then vote for Biden. And people can say that they like Trump and they will never vote for Trump. Like we, we don't know, actually. And your dad, Carrie Lake, thinks that it's Trump saying crap about McCain that made Trump Trump. That's what she likes about Trump. I'm not sure that's what Republicans broadly understood decided they liked about Trump. I don't know that they liked MAGA Trump, the 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 over, you know, the part of the 80% or 90% who said that they supported him at the height of his presidency. We have no evidence of that. We have no evidence that that was good. Remember, he went after Charlottesville, he went to 33% in the approval ratings. That means Republicans actively turned on him because of his behavior around the Charlottesville, you know, whatever that was, riot or whatever you want to call it. Um, Republicans were un were not happy about it. They, it's not that they were. So she's like Charlottesville Trump. 
okay, this is a test case of being Trumpish and running in an election. And maybe she'll win, but if she wins, she wins by the skin of her teeth. And if she hadn't, again, let's say she wins by, you know, 500 votes. If she hadn't spent all this time crapping on your dad, maybe those 500 votes would have gone for her. I mean, that's why you don't do that. Like, it's it's like, it's like just, it's like washing your hands before you're, you know, before you, before you do surgery on someone. Like, you know, you don't, all things being equal, you want to be in a more antiseptic environment when you're asking for votes. Abe. Well, you know, I think it's an interesting point because I think uh, what people first liked about Trump was not that it was that he was supposedly talking about things that no one would talk about. He was um, bringing up issues that had had been neglected uh, b- b- that as they pertain to working class and uh, overlooked America and all that. That they're liking that is what gave them permission to like the ugliness. And then the ugliness stayed. They sort of they came for the issues, stayed for the ugliness. And that and that is where we're at now. And that I think is why you see increasingly just the resorting to the ugliness. Um, and you see increasingly its rejection. That's charitable. <laughs> it's very charitable. I, I I think that's probably true for the Manhattan Institute types and the Reformicons, but I think mm-hmm. a lot of people really responded to the ugliness and then erected an intellectual uh, just uh, permission structure around him to justify the ugliness. His his special talent, Donald Trump's special talent, is saying exactly what the worst part of your id tells you, and gives That's you a- pr- gives you permission to say it. Like I think drug dealers should be executed. Now mm-hmm. you didn't used to be able to say that in polite company, but now you no. Can. I think you could say that in polite company. The question is, <clears throat> uh, could you say in polite company? Uh, my judge doesn't like me because he's Hispanic. That you probably or, or to mock say. someone with disabilities or to do or to you yeah. know the, yeah now people misogynist do that openly. They, but they yeah. do that and then you're also the like oh but he right. favors you know expanding <laughs> social security. Yeah. But see, this is but this is where one lesson from the midterms for Republicans beyond just the 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 crazy Trumpers didn't do as well as the the standard Republican is that. I think Abe is absolutely right that in 2016, in particular, especially up against a, a technocratic, you know, condescending elite like Hillary Clinton, there was a lot of uh, embrace of this idea of here's a guy who's going to fight for us, who talks about our problems, who who sees us, we we feel seen. <laughs> um, but now I think there's this people do still, for better or for worse, because one should never fall in love with a politician, you know, because you're falling in love with an image that is nowhere near able to be true. Um People want something to believe in and to hope for. And there's a, the, I think that's why DeSantis's message, which, you know, he cut all these ads that were like, here are the things we're doing for you. Here's how I want to make your life better. It, it you know, and then he's very good at, at attacking his critics as well. But the message has to have some hope. And, and as much as I disliked a lot about Obama, that was his initial campaign was all about hope, right? I mean, it became kind of a parody of itself uh, years in. But People want to believe that their politicians stand for something positive. One positive thing. What is the one positive thing that Carrie Lake stands for? I don't know. I can't name it because I don't think she's articulated it consistently. A lot of these MAGA candidates, I think, are now, as Abe says, totally mired in grievance. And that's where they think they'll win. And I'm not sure that's what certainly independent voters don't like that. I don't know what the Republican Party stands for in policy terms. Yeah, we're very confused about that. We don't right. know that's going to be an intro. That is the subject of the next two years. I mean, re- really, it is the subject of the next two years. Let's let's say, we're, let's presume the conventionalism is right and Republicans take the House with this tiny margin. 
but maybe don't take the Senate or they take the Senate, whatever. Nothing's going to happen, mm-hmm. right? Biden's there. He'll veto. If Republicans come up with legislation, he'll veto it. If they, you know, if there will be no legislation, if they control the House, but not the Senate, you know, if it's like 2011 uh, and, and there's a Democrat in the White House. So it's either all going to be personality or there is going to be a lot of policy ferment uh, where it's like, OK, this is what we want to put before you that you're going to reject so that we can then go to the pu- public and say, we wanted to do these good things for you, but these Democrats with their progressive woke psychosis won't let it happen. Vote us in. But that that's the ordinary conventional way, you know, people do things in the, you know, when they're uh, when they're not in power Um or not, but or it could just all be personality driven. But I would say that given what I was saying about the 55-45 split non-Trump Trump in 2016, that people came to Trump who didn't like him originally. And what they did, because I was thinking this last week in a in a weird way, was like, oh, that's his way. You know, it's like your relative, your jerk, you know, your relative who on the one hand, you know, is like a jerk and say, embarrasses you. But on the other hand, if it's three o'clock in the morning, he's the one you call to drive you to the hospital. You know, he's got some personality quirks, but that's his way. And I I accept that because he's got all these other good qualities. Well, what if that relative like no longer strikes you as having good qual like you're you're reconciling the bad behavior with the you know heart of gold or something like that? Well, what if you decide that relative doesn't have a heart of gold? And it's no longer that it's his way. Or you know other people who are exactly like your relative, like Carrie Lake, but have no good, have no, don't have any good qualities. Well, you don't say like that's her way. It's like she's a jerk, you know, um, you know, or Mastriano is a jerk. Like I don't want to vote for him. Ew. You know, I, I mean, he lost by eleven. Fetterman lost by two. Right. I mean. Uh, Mastriano was decisively rejected by the voters of Pennsylvania because he's a jerk. And he said, you know what? I'm going to break all sorts of laws and make sure that Trump gets the electoral votes from Pennsylvania if I'm governor. And people in Pennsylvania are like, no, I don't want you there. It's like, yeah, you're talking like Trump. But Trump was my tribute and you're just a jerk, you know. But also what happens when he stops being useful I kind of think of it like a a great artist who's selling, you know, platinum records all the time, but has gross behavior, like record labels will look the other way as long as you just keep making money for them. He's losing. He's losing a lot of people. And I was looking at some of the data yesterday, like single women in the country. Well, we're just like repulsing them to hell. Like they, I mean, it was like 38% voted uh, for Republicans, it's very, that's very low. Um, I believe that is right, but feel free to fact check me. And women in general, and then Gen Z are voting in much higher numbers than I think anticipated. And his message isn't resonating the way it once did. And I think I'm angry at, um, you know, I know that you guys, when we were talking offline, you are not angry because there's, I do think there's like a silver lining to, you know, this being made possibly the last siren song for Trump. But you know, if you can't deliver, what is the benefit of putting up with his his you know bravado and incendiary behavior and vulgarity and chaos? So, just to put some meat on that, um, Wall Street Journal has some weighted exit polls that are more uh, valuable 
because we've had some time to massage the data. So that looks like the electorate that turned out. And um, according to their figures, uh, white suburban women voted four points Democratic in 2018, five points in 2020. But they voted seven points Republican in 2022. Um, significant shifts, 20 point shifts among African-Americans, 10 point shift among Hispanics. Younger African-Americans shifted to the tune of almost 30 points. Hispanics, younger Hispanics, almost 20 points, all in the Republican direction. It was just independent voters that cost them this mm-hmm. race. And independent voters are the ballgame for any race. So that's a that's a race you deserve to lose. But the demographics did shift substantially in okay. the Republican direction. This is the key. This is all anybody needs to know about the election and why it would be insane, though it might happen, uh, for Republicans to nominate Trump in 2024. And I say insane, not hyperbolically. I mean, it would actually be a bizarre, self-destructive, you know. The definition of insanity. So, yeah, because here's why. Just I'm just going to four numbers, okay? In 2016, when Trump threaded the needle and won the election, independent voters went for him by one point, 43-42. In 2018, the independent voters went 15 points against him, 55, or against Republicans, 55-40. In 2020, when he was up for re-election against Biden, Biden prevailed with independent voters with a majority and a nine-point margin, 52-43. And in the election on Tuesday, independent voters went for Democrats by 12%. Trump won in 2016 because of an even 50, pretty much 50-50 split among independents. Independents in the last three elections have gone 15, 9, and 12 against Republicans and Trump. That trend line will not change in 2024. And clearly, if you don't split the independent vote, Republicans do not have a chance Because, as I've said 10,000 times on this podcast, there are more Democrats than there are Republicans. So if you get large Democratic turnout and large Republican turnout, Democrats will have the plurality, um, even though a third of the country defines itself as independent, right? Just there are more natural Democrats, there are more Democrats and Republicans, period. And what happened on Tuesday was that there was apparently lower turnout than people were suggesting on election night, but clearly there was an enthusiasm parity or possibly maybe a little bit more enthusiasm among Democrats and among Republicans, which is very striking. And we can go into that. That is all that we need to know. All we need to know is that Republicans have cratered among independents in three straight elections. And those elections were Trumpy elections. And if 2024 is a Trumpy election, you know, Biden can be in an assisted living facility and not know what year it is or be able to tell you that he's the president and he will still win the election in 2024 if he runs again. 
Well, Biden was Biden has become uh, unduly arrogant about what happened on election night, I think. And that that's not good for that. That's not wise. And he and Harris, I think, are both going to appear at a Democratic uh, event applauding themselves. These are always billed as we're going to thank the campaign workers, but it's really about sort of congratulating themselves on being amazing. Um, and I don't think that's a good idea either, because this was not an endorsement of the Democratic Party either, this election. It was a, you know, enough already kind of election. And I think a lot of voters have just just had it with with both. Uh, I mean, at their local election level, perhaps not. Some of them really did seem to like some of their local candidates. But I I do think Biden's going to overplay his hand. His vanity is going to take over again in a way that it that it tends to do in moments where he actually needs to have a little more humility. That's Look, a perfect segue. To, I'm sorry. What, please, please. Well, I just, I'm sorry. Sorry to ruin the perfect. No, segue. no. Okay. But um, <laughs> I'll keep it in hammer. <laughs> what what brought Biden to power? was also not an endorsement of him or of the Democrats. It's the very same thing. It was we don't want these other monsters. Yeah, that was that was no yeah. that was Noah's point in his December 2020 piece, All Our Punished, right? It was Biden wins by seven million votes, exactly the same electoral spread split as Trump and Clinton in 2016, and Republicans win 14 seats in the House in the same election. That is who you know, don't do what you then ended up doing. But I don't know if you're Biden, are sending what? an impossibly hard, easy to see message here. <laughs> it could not be yeah. more explicit. If they all like signed an open letter and just posted it on the Internet. It wouldn't be clearer than the message they're sending now. But back to the perfect segue. Um, <laughs> Megan, you had a, a, a an observation, a theory to explain uh, what we're perhaps about to see among disappointed Republican voters of whom there's quite a lot. Uh, and maybe you want to elaborate on that. I hope I haven't, I hope you re remember what it is because I don't want to give it away. Well, it's not my original theory. I was talking this morning uh, with my husband about this, but he's very concerned because, um, you know, midterm elections are supposed to be a release for people and sort of a referendum on the parties in power and people having too much power. And, you know, Republicans have no release right now. And there's no, even for me, I mean, I, I, you know, I listen to the podcast every day and we all have similar concerns about crime and culture war stuff. I mean, as a new mom, which I hate that term, but that, I guess that's technically the box I fit in. I mean, the, the stress and anxiety have to having to do with what school I'm going to send my daughter to. She's going to a preschool now, but she's going to start elementary school in the next year and a half, two years. I mean, it, it like plagues me. I don't want her to be taught CRT. I don't want culture war stuff in the classroom. I just want her to learn normal stuff like reading, writing, colors, blah, blah, blah. And that's something I would never would have thought would be an issue in my life. And it seems like this is going to be more of the same. And my friends who live in um, New York City as well, which I know, John, you do and Abe, you do. I mean, they're particularly distressed right now, feeling like did all the Republicans move to Florida and now there's not going to be a lot of change. And I, I just worry about how irrational people get and how angry people get. And then obviously the concern of violence is always going to be at, I think, everyone's forefront. And tell me if you think that premise is justified or not. I think it's really interesting. Well, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I just I, I kind of expected this. What we've seen in the immediate aftermath is despondency. Absolutely. You know, very with the exception of Carrie Lake, I can't think of many others who have accepted to a degree that I didn't expect was possible in the post-Trump era, just accepted these results um, and moved on to the in the grieving process. But where does the grieving process go? 
because like you say, there there does need to be an outlet. I'm less concerned about outbreaks of political violence than I perhaps would have been several weeks ago, just because the reaction has been actually rather healthy, uh, not just, you know, screaming into clouds and kind of accepting um, this event. But where where does it go? Because there will there will be plenty of disreputable people who will try to capitalize on that sentiment in ways that well, are not healthy. Including Trump, who right now is is still, I guess, planning on making some sort of, you know, presidential run announcement next week, although the latest rumors are that, you know, people are encouraging him not to do that yet, to wait, to hold off, to hold off. Um, whatever he does, he could he could I, I'm I'm with Megan. I think he will that that will be the reminder that there was no sort of um uh, uh, release for the voters who are very frustrated right now as either conservative or conservative leaning people, non-MAGA Republican voters, let's call them that, or non-MAGA types who are are not on board with the Democratic Party's agenda right now. Unless you live in Florida uh, and maybe parts of Texas, there re- really wasn't any place in on the map that gave you a kind of sense of, okay, well, at least the crazy in my local school or at my, you know, uh, uh, local downtown area will be brought under control. No, there's no, and, and that actually is going to continue to be a point of contention, I think, for those same voters in two years. But Trump could very easily get things wound up again. That's what he does. It's what he enjoys doing. All he has to do is have a press conference and then we're back at it again. But I, a lot know, of the a lot of the reaction on the right to Trump from people who have been um, very willing to embrace Trump, very supportive of Trump, a lot of the reaction to his reaction to the election and to his attacking DeSantis has been, don't do this. Why would this is great? Why are you doing this? Stop this. We don't need this. This is the exact wrong thing, which I also think, you know, speaks to Noah's um, sense here that things are more healthy uh, so far than than we might have expected. And I, and again, I, I mentioned this yesterday, certainly by this time, this this many hours after the 2020 election, the conspiracy theories were already flooding the zone. Um, we're not seeing that in the same way this time around, which I think also speaks to a window to 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 approach things, at least starting from a somewhat healthier point. Um, assuming that Republicans secure the majority in the House, which is not 100 uh, percent. I don't think it's even 80 percent. I mean, right now, there is no net gain for Republicans in the races that have been called it is 10 flips to Republicans and 10 flips to Democrats for a net gain of zero and Democrats control the house by five or six. I can't even remember five or six. So it's not happened yet. It probably will. I'm not quite sure on these charts if they've accounted for the five Republican seats in New York state that Republicans seem to have flipped. So that, that might do it alone. But let's just assume that Republicans control the House. So at the very least, the Biden agenda is halted. Like, um, you know, just that's it. Like there's not, you know, the one thing that they'll be able to do is hold the line against liberal, you know, efforts to move legislation. So there will be it's not like we're going to get the Inflation Reduction Act again. Or, you know, climate change legislation again or something like that. We're not going to get any of that. And what we'll get is Biden doing what Obama did when he was no longer able to pass legislation and what he's done with the with the um, 
student loan thing, which is, you know, to declare it by fiat from the Oval Office. And then there's litigation starts and then it freezes in place. And then eventually it'll probably be ruled unconstitutional. So in that sense, I don't know that there's going to be advances that Democrats are going to make that will trigger Republicans like this is it. Our country is finished and all of that in that way where you actually have real, real world concerns to push you. So in that sense, I think we're, but the release point is really important. Now you can overread the release, right? Obviously Republicans in 2010 won this mammoth uh, election and then they, in the house, and then they kind of acted crazy. Like they were sort of like, we were brought here to do nothing and to close the government down. Yeah. And again, it's like, okay, you know, people like the Tea Party message and all that, but it wasn't like you're supposed to go in and and basically destroy the federal government. That isn't what the Constitution, the Constitution sets up the federal government. You know, you're walking around with the pocket Constitution and praising and all that. Constitution was about setting up the rules of the federal government. It's not a libertarian document that destroys the federal government. That doesn't make logistical sense, and they... They overplayed their hand and they arguably made it impossible for Republicans to win in 2012 by doing so. And so they're not going to have the power to do that because if they win, they're going to have a the literally the most razor thin majority in American history, you know, two or three seats or something. And by the way, you know, a couple of really sad, tragic, random tragedies and the Democrats could take control of the House. You know, somebody has a heart attack, somebody else dies in a car crash, and then suddenly you have special elections. Who knows where they are? Let's say that happens in New York. I, you know, I mean, who knows? Um, So it's an interesting question. And we'll see what kind of, um, uh, I don't know, how combative Republican and Republican voters are going to be if the Senate control hinges on Georgia and, mm-hmm. the, and the, you know, December 6th is the runoff. Um. See, I would argue, I don't know that they're going to get all, you know, Senate controlly here. I mean, but that is the outlet, Honestly, isn't it? Yeah. The election still isn't over. Maybe that's the outlet just because Georgia's, yeah. there's still the potential to salvage something from this wreckage. If you're a voter, let me just ask you this. If the, if the, if Democrats controlled the House and the thing, which is what, what happened in 2020, and the whole thing about like, providing a check against democratic ambitions is Georgia and you have these two races in Georgia and then Trump comes in and basically makes it possible for Biden to do everything that he's done over the past two years by depressing the Republican turnout and having uh, Warnock and Ossoff win in the so if you're a Republican in Georgia and Democrats have control of the uh, Republicans end up with control of the house do you really care Who's running a committee, you know, running the Commerce Committee in the Senate? Or I don't even know if there is a Commerce Committee. In the, I can't remember the names of the Senate committees. Do you really care who runs the Senate Intelligence Committee? I, I don't. That's a real. I mean, it's good for Republican senators to be able to have committee chairmanships. Um, you're not you're not going to get anything out of it. Republicans are already blocking Biden by having the House. I don't know. I mean, I just that doesn't seem to me to be a titanic struggle. And then you've got this really unimpressive candidate that you as a Republican, like, I don't know, like Democrats have every incentive 
to go crazy and spend a billion dollars keeping Warnock in that seat. And I just don't know the Republicans are going to have the counter juice, particularly with, with Walker as the candidate. I think they're embarrassed by Walker. I don't, I know he's beloved. He won a Heisman trophy 850 years ago. <laughs> Am I taking crazy pills? The guy was a famous football player 40 years ago. Well, what, I, I, you do, know, what do we think? Do we think if Adam Laxalt loses in Nevada, there's no, the control doesn't come down to Georgia. Do we think right. Walker loses? I kind of think so. I think so too. Oh yeah. yeah. He, he's so, I mean. But if it's 40, if it's 50, 50, I mean, if it's 50, 49, in other words, if, if, uh, okay, what is the math here? Cause I'm terrible. Uh, if, uh, Laxalt wins, but, um, but Masters Black Salt wins. Republicans have 50 seats to Democrats, 48, because Arizona is still out. So Kelly wins. They get 49, 50, 49. Then it comes down to Georgia. Georgia. If, if Republicans won Georgia, they'd have a 51 seat majority. What about Kamala's vote? She's only the tiebreaking vote. No, Correct. she's only she only, only votes the tiebreaker. Yeah, right. yeah, she only votes if it's a tiebreak. Right. OK. If right. Adam so Black Salt wins right. and Herschel Walker wins. Republicans have a 51 seat majority. Yeah. So what? Yeah. I, this is what I'm saying to you. Does it matter to an in, to an ordinary voter who whether Democrats or Republicans control the Senate if Republicans have control of the House? I say it matters incredibly much to Democrats that they have control of the House, uh, control of the Senate. I just don't know that ordinary for ordinary Republican voters, they care that much. I mean, they'll well, come this, out, they'll turn out. Well, but we'll see. I, I mean, this is why this is why Trump's interference in the last Georgia runoff was such a problem. Right. Yeah. If he interferes again, which he will, because Walker is his guy. Right. He's like, this is the guy I've handpicked for you, state of Georgia. Then I actually think that that will lead some Republican voters to just not turn out again, not because of the active suppression e efforts that he did before, but just because they don't like this candidate, candidate quality. He's a bad candidate. So he's we've a mess. Seen, he's such a mess. We've seen a lot of Republicans and institutions that have been trying to push Trump out of the door. So far, they're the, all the people who have had no use for the man for at least the last two years. A yeah. lot of people close to Trump, off the record, unnamed, saying this stuff, but they don't want to risk consequences for it, with the exception of Former Trump press secretary Kayleigh McInerney, who when asked yesterday if Donald Trump should go to Georgia and stump for Walker, quote, I think we've got to make strategic calculations. Governor DeSantis, I think he should be welcomed in the state, given what happened last night. You've got to look at the realities on the ground. She's so far the first person I've seen within, you know, very, you know, in low Trump orbit who mm -hmm. has bucked the 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 pressure to stifle what the obvious observation is after this is this is a very interesting point that she made in your making about desantis versus trump in georgia so of course florida and georgia border each other those southern counties in georgia that border uh florida are a lot like north get, florida counties yeah yeah they get florida radio they get television i mean i i, I no one gets local television anymore i don't know maybe or maybe they do i don't know what jacksonville markets like yeah savannah's in a jacksonville yeah, market right right desantis could go in there and make i mean i don't think endorsements and candidates but he is now a rock star you know he is now he is now at least he's the flavor of the moment in american politics he goes in he could generate some real enthusiasm there what if he is the kingmaker what if he gets walker what if the what if the line is that DeSantis came in and pushed Walker over the top, not Trump? That would that really would anger Trump. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, right? Fun. 
But that's why, you know, she's a biggie to say this because it, it means that she she knows that she, she's saying I'm perfectly fine being ejected from MAGA world because that's that's the result. Let's do the counter. The counter is, as as Noah pointed out last night, there's the story in the New York Times about whether Trump should or should not announce next week. And Trump got, you know, Trump uh, dictated a message to Elise Stefanik, the Republican congressman from upstate New York, that has, knows that it reads like a hostage video. It's like, <laughs> due to the greatness of Donald Trump, he must be president again. I am proud to support him. You know, I'm blinking. Help me in Morse code. It know. was it was Stefanik, J.D. Vance and Jim Banks, Republican Representative Jim Banks, who all put these supportive statements. We still support Trump. Trump is the leader of the party sort of thing. But the Times had to include that they requested these statements. They were not offered unsolicited. And 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 Stefanik's statement sounds like Trump wrote it. She has had the weirdest turn, like from a moderate. We were weirdly we were both on a L magazine 30 at 30 women and I met her there and she was like so nice and seemed so normal and um like followed me on social media and then immediately unfollowed me when she decided to go MAGA world on her like I wonder what the long-term gamble is when you turn into just a Trump Kool-Aid drinker sycophant in all ways and I read Kaylee McEnany um, a little different. I actually think some of these people, these are swamp people. They want a job with DeSantis if he's running for president. They want to be part of the winning team. You know, she has a job at Fox. I don't know if it's like her specifically, but all of this isn't just like altruistic because you're for the good of the party. Like he's he is the flavor of the month and he, you know, we'll see if he can take out Trump, but he's certainly someone that, you know, I could support. But obviously if you're talking about Trump or DeSantis, I mean, it's like, you know, there's like no comparison in but, any reality of anything, but it'll be interesting to see how many of these people jump ship and then how many other people are like, I guess I'm going to be on the Trump Titanic for the rest of time, like Elise Stefanik. But for me, if the top three leadership is Scalise, who I like, Kevin McCarthy, who I find just deeply unimpressive and a, like, a, you know, just in all ways, deeply unimpressive and just cravenly political and not inspirational and then Elise Stefanik who is my age and has decided that she's going to be like the Baghdad Bob of the Trump world these are not inspiring people in leadership I like Scalise I, I wish he were the you know if he were going to be the speaker but what is this leadership going to the future and all of these people are going to have to make this choice are you for DeSantis are you ready to let Trump go and I think a lot of them are scared and cowards and that's why I, I, I'm not as Enthusiastic, or I'm not as um convinced that Trump's not going to be the nominee still. Oh, I, I think I think it would be a mistake to bet against him. Oh. I just think that the order of battle. I mean, if you if you look at you know the long march of history, you look and you say uh, it would be crazy for Republicans to nominate him because he can't win because of those independent numbers, and so you know parties don't commit suicide. Blah blah blah. On the other hand, I want to talk about contin. I want to end on this, which is a contingency issue. I was thinking about this. I, I, we we alluded to this a little bit yesterday, but I got, I got even uh, like more convinced of it. Um, so during the you know run up when we like everybody else, including liberals and everybody who thought there was going to be a red wave, it's not like it had to be you know sort of on the right to think there was going to be a wave or a tsunami. So we're all in this like it's. You know, the fundamentals, the fundamentals are basically um, 
They're controlling factors that remove human agency. This is what people do. Let's plug in five variables. The economy, the president's approval rating, uh, how people say whether they're on the right track or the wrong track. And if these numbers are X, then voters will do Y, and this is what will happen. And no, nothing will change that, pretty much. And I'm thinking about why people are so seduced by this idea, and I think it's because we desperately want there to be some sense of certainty or some sense of, you know, that, that, that there's a narrative that we can understand as things are unfolding before the judgment is made. So we can prepare ourselves emotionally and we can sort of think that there is something going on that is leading inexorably to something. But then you have contingency and agency. And every single point in the last two years, there has been this bizarre element of contingency and things happening that shouldn't otherwise happen. Beginning with Trump ruining the Georgia runoffs and mm -hmm. and having Democrats in control of the Senate. If we do our DeLorean thing from yesterday, which was so confusing, if we went back in time and basically like somebody slipped Trump a Mickey and he was asleep for a month from November until December and didn't do what he did with Georgia and Republicans had won those two seats, all kinds of things wouldn't have happened that happened. There wouldn't have been a $2 trillion spending bill. There might have been an infrastructure bill. There wouldn't have been the Inflation Reduction Act. There wouldn't have been the meeting at the White House where, where John Meacham and, and Michael Beschloss say you can be FDR and LBJ because he couldn't, because he didn't have control of all of both chambers of the House. Of, of, you know. And then Dobbs, which is entirely out of everybody's control, which is you know basically like a 50-year thing that finally sort of came to fruition and 40 years of the Federalist Society and nominations for the Supreme Court and all of that. And then Dobbs happens in June. And everything is different. And why? Because we can't be sure. We can't play this game of here are these factors. And so then we plug because all kinds of things happened here. All kinds of stuff. You know, if there hadn't been early voting in Pennsylvania, would Fetterman have won? Half the vote, you know, like a third of the vote was in before the debate on October 25th where that was so, you know, heartrending. I don't know. I mean, in the there were, well, <laughs> in the absence of Donald Trump spending the last two years telling Republicans not to vote by mail, they might have competed by mail. Republicans used to do pretty well by mail because older people vote by mail. Unless you think your vote is going to be stolen and not counted and burned and sent in a, you know, in a 55 gallon drum to Venezuela. I don't know, know what they think, but don't vote by mail anymore. There was a great there was a very great surreal moment yeah, yesterday when Trump gave an interview to Fox News and he was asked about the fact that everybody, you know, that, wow, all, all your handpicked guys did not do well. Is this terrible for you? And he's like, that is a fake news narrative. So he's like literally appearing on Fox, claiming the narrative about his <laughs> political instincts was fake news. I don't know. I just found it completely surreal. But that, I think, is the next two years of our political culture. So we should buckle up. But contingency, again, that's why we don't know what the next two years are going to... This this is my point here, which is like, it's a fool's errand. You know, DeSantis could, you know, trip. Trump could fall down the stairs. Biden could fall down the stairs. The 25th Amendment could be invoked on Biden. 
Glenn Youngkin could save, you know, a baby from a burning house and suddenly become the more popular Republican. You know, Gavin Newsom could save a baby from a house and become an incredibly popular Democrat nationally. I mean, who you know, you just and, you know, the Supreme Court is going to make a couple of really landmark decisions, you know, particularly in affirmative action. And I, it's not abortion. I'm sorry. You know, it really isn't. And conservatives themselves should have understood this. This is the other thing that struck me yesterday. So Dobbs overturns a 50 year precedent, you know, a sort of right that is that was granted that is now, you know, said that 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 right does not uh, is not located in the Constitution. It needs to be passed by law. And uh, this is something the right eagerly wanted. Either you were pro-life or you were a constitutionalist and you hate the way Roe was decided. Um, but the idea that it was just going to be a three, I mean, I'm guilty of this as anybody, but, you know, it was going to be like a three or four week sugar high that was going to get, you know, Democrats excited and they would raise money, but then it would all come down to earth and the fundamentals would reassert themselves. Like, this is a very big deal, and it is a very, very big deal. And the idea that it would be a major issue that people would vote on in November, the whole point of it is to make abortion a voting issue, isn't it? The whole point of overturning Roe is to say voters now, the whole point is voters have to express themselves. And I'm going inter- to interrupt to say, okay. I, I here's another point where a lot of Democrats are getting the wrong message about some of those initiatives because they're saying, look, they're with us. But in fact, they are not with the, what the Democratic Party's very extreme message on abortion. People, candidates like Fetterman who want zero restrictions on abortion, that is not with them. That is not where most Americans are. They are in right. the middle and the initiatives that passed right. recognize that. Right. But even in even in conservative it's states. It's a little like modern uh what was it modern monetary theory. You know what? We're going to introduce this earthquake into into American history. But you know what? It's not going to have any consequences. It's amazing. We can inflate the currency and it won't matter. You know, in fact, there won't be any inflation. It's kind of the same thing like Nobody understands the, the other you're, side you're... of modern monetary theory is you have to tax the hell of all that money you just print. Nobody right. nobody remembers the taxing part of yeah. it. It's all just the yeah. printing money part. Yeah. But the idea you get your wish and you know what? There are going to be consequences on the other side. You're going to you're going to ignite the other side, people who really care about this. And a lot of people really care about it. And you're going, you know what? They overturned Dobbs. This is fantastic. We're going to make sure that no one ever gets an abortion again and write initiatives and not, you know, not allow Michigan, which went totally Democratic in this election to revert because of Republicans in the in the state house revert to a 1931 protocol on abortion and not have consequences. Well, we're only half guilty of of downplaying it, John, because we did sort of begin to think, well, yeah, this was some sort of um, parenthetical sugar high. But we also said over and over that Republicans have found no convincing way to talk about it, mm-hmm. um, which is and, still and, true. Still yes, a problem. Right. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's just interesting. So, uh, Megan. Sure. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Are on. you, no, are you, I think you're in a weird place because I think you're kind of, you're kind of feeling like Tuesday night wasn't so like in the arc of history that it wasn't so bad. I mean, I was, I was sad on Tuesday just because again, there's just so many local issues I really care about and so many, and I just want like. I really hate being lectured to that like crime isn't happening. Like you're crazy. It's not something that's real. And that 
I'm a maniac because I don't want like, cause I want to have like involvement in my child's education, like all these things. And that I'm crazy because my ton of my friends that I went to high school with are having serious financial situations right now in their home because of inflation. That's so bad. One of my very close friends has four kids. Her husband is, um, works two jobs in the day and the night. They're, you know, very middle-class jobs. I don't want to say what it is. I don't want her to be embarrassed, but she, they've really had, I mean, she called me the other day. They're really having issues they've never had before because they live in Glendale, Arizona, and there's a better quality of life and, you know, money goes further and she's really feeling it and like worried about the holidays, worried about how, you know, she's going to get the toys she wants for her kids. And, you know, it's not like abject poverty, but she's like, there's a real difference right now. And I don't like being told by Democrats that it, this isn't happening. We're all just gaslit. So I was hoping for uh, them to have to face the reality of their choices. Um, the, the flip side is the silver lining for me is that hopefully this shows showcases that Trump just can't bring it home again on a personal schadenfreude level. I really enjoy when Trump goes crazy and flips out and everybody's apparently blaming Melania for Dr. Oz. And I like when he's upset. I mean, call me a messed up person, whatever. Um, but I hope that there's a pathway without him because I do feel like I'm one of those voters that, um, and again, I think, you know, we're all kind of political outliers in the party right now in different ways, but I can't do this with Trump. If it's Biden and Trump, I'll opt out again. And I, I just cannot do this. And I think a lot of people feel that way. The chaos, the drama, the vulgarity. I was, I live in Virginia, right outside of Washington, DC. I was there present near Capitol Hill on January 6th. I don't want to do any of this crap again. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And I think clearly I'm not alone in that sentiment. So I'm hoping the party can see the way, but I worry about people like, you know, the people in leadership who just kiss his ass and don't seem to be able to like have any real courage or buck any traditions on their own who are just like, it's Trump or nothing and we can't live without him. And I'm sorry for going on a little long-winded. My last thing is, I my my mother, as you mentioned in the beginning of the show, my mother was pregnant with me at the 84 Reagan convention. I've literally been around this since I was in utero. I never was around, thought politics was all about, like, if you're losing and you're not bringing it home, you're out. Like, Eric Cantor is no longer serving anymore. Like, if you can't bring things to the table, you are no longer going to be someone who's in power. Trump isn't bringing anything anymore except for his very rabid MAGA base and they can't bring it on home either. You still, fortunately for those people, you need everybody on this call to support you too, whether you like it or not, Carrie Lake and people like that. And they just seem to rather want to win some personality contest or ideological contest in some way or another, rather than actually win elections. And I think when things are as dire as they are now economically and will continue to get so, that's not something that's going to play. People are going to want things to change. So you know, there's a positive and a negative, but I'm, I'm so done with this stuff. I'm so done with it. I'm so over it. I just want people who are actually effective and actually care about what I care about. And, you know, as you said, Christine are inspirational. I'm still like a hokey person. I love inspirational politicians who make me feel warm and good. And I don't fall in love with them. Like you said, I, I, you know, I just don't think it's possible, but I like people who make me feel inspired. I really like Glenn Youngkin. You know, I mean, I don't really wake up in the morning being like, yeah, Glenn Youngkin, but I think he's a very decent politician and he like, like agrees with the same things I agree with. But, you know, if it's just Trump and MAGA, Carrie Lake stuff. Oh, and I want to say one more thing. Um, Carrie Lake is 
positioning herself to be his running mate. That's part of the reason why she's going so hard for him. And it's a rumor that's like everywhere and he loves her and is allegedly it's his first choice. And again, if it's a president Trump, Carrie Lake ticket, I mean, I, I guess I'm just going to like, you know, move to a shelter or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's like my idea of hell. Yeah. Uh, you know, no, I want to make one point that Noah made yesterday about the earthquake in New York, because this goes to your point about uh, policies and things to worry about. So as people are digging into the New York numbers, they look more and more and more impressive for Zeldin and the Republicans. It's interesting because I thought, well, you know what, if maybe Zeldin lost because the, the election denial had an effect and all that. Um, Zeldin lost because structurally at this moment, it's really not clear that any Republican can win a, a statewide election in New York state. But uh, New Yorkers responded to uh, Kathy Hochul and the crime wave Democratic New Yorkers by staying home. In fact, turnout in the city cratered. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it appears that Zeldin got almost every Republican vote that he could have gotten statewide. He's ended up losing by five. But as as I said earlier, five Republican district five districts seem to have flipped from Democrat to Republican across the state. Um, and uh, his performance relative to Cuomo, uh, relative to previous Republican nominees, including the guy who was coming into the House, Mark Molinaro, who was the nominee in 2018 against Cuomo, and Rob Astorino, who was the candidate in 2014 against Cuomo, uh, it's like, you know, astronomical differences, astronomical turnout in outside of New York City for Republicans. It's just that, like, Florida's gain is New York's loss. It I mean, really the, does the, the mania so. and incompetence of the state assembly also deserves a lot of credit for that. They're, yeah. The attempt to try to redistrict every Republican in the yeah. state out of office was so flagrantly unconstitutional, fueled by this profoundly stupid conspiracy theory that Republicans right. only have political power because they gerrymander themselves into it. Right. And they, they blew it to such a degree that but, they handed Republicans five seats. But on issues, it's very important. So Zeldin was the crime candidate, and and uh, I thought, okay, maybe in the end, Hochul won because in the last two weeks, they flooded the you know in New York City. She won New York City, and they flooded the subways with cops. There are cops everywhere in the subways and all of that. But I don't think that I think that she spent all this time, and Democrats have spent all this time, like downplaying crime or sort of saying, well, you know, it, there isn't really crime here or whatever, and. Um, the people in New York City who could have given her a really comfortable margin, they didn't vote Republican because they just weren't going to vote Republican. But it sure looks like they stayed home. It really looks like a lot of people stayed home and didn't want to vote for Kathy Hochul. And they probably didn't want to vote for Kathy Hochul because of this. And politicians tend to hear the messages that voters send them. And if you're Hochul or Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, you're even though Hochul prevailed, you should be getting a pretty loud message that uh, you got to do something and not pretend that this isn't something you have to do because uh, somebody could come up behind you. And, you know, maybe this time they stay home and there aren't enough Republicans. But, you know. You go from a 23-point margin in favor of Cuomo to a five-point margin in favor of Hochul in four years. That was an 18-point move. 
going six points more Republican is not unthinkable in four years. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, right now it couldn't happen. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people are getting red pilled by crime. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think there is a loud message in some of these results that is very uh, that is unmistakable. I can hear it. If they can't hear it, the voters will have to give it. it just I, I think there's a loud message to Republicans about Trump in these three elections. And if they can't hear it, then then the party will reap the whirlwind. And if they can, things will change. And the same is true on 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 a lot of these issues, schooling and crime. And, you know, you want to pretend you don't hear it fine. Uh, you will then submit yourself. Again, agency and contingency will play a large role here. It matters how you stand on policy. It matters what the results are of your actions, and voters will judge accordingly. Uh, okay, Megan McCain, as ever, thank you so much. Oh uh, and yeah, and uh, for Abe Christina, Noam Chompot Hortz, keep the candle burning.